It is Thursday, September 12th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we are into week two. We've got the kissing virus knocking out quarterbacks. We have surprise injuries knocking out tight ends. We've got a pair of high-powered matchups that could dominate week two scoring. Of course, you can head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our week two rankings. Check your My Team page to see how those projections play out in your specific scoring lineup format. We've got the free agent focus articles, the streaming picks up. We've got week two DFS content coming as well, of course. Right now, though, it's time to dig into the post-Thursday week two slate game by game, Jared. And we're going to start with Arizona at Baltimore. 47 point over and under. That's up from a 42 and a half open. Yeah, it seems like there's disagreement here between Vegas and um, you know the public about I think how much we believe in the Ravens and the Cardinals offenses. Yeah, I mean of course there were plenty of points, plenty of yards from both of them last week. A lot of plays from Arizona playing in overtime. Cards are at just 17 points uh, for an implied Vegas total, though it's the third lowest of the week. They actually started out below Miami. Things have changed for both of them since then, but I think that it's it's kind of a good reminder or maybe just a signal to not get too excited about the Cardinals this week. We want Kyler Murray to be good, especially in fantasy. He did throw for 308 yards last week, two touchdowns against Detroit, but he did so on just 54 attempts, 5.7 yards per attempt. That's not a good number. I would try not to play Kyler Murray this week if you can help it. I'm with you there. A few things I'll say, though. Kyler was much better in the second half and overtime than he was in the first half. 38% completion rate, 2.6 yards per attempt in the first half. 61% completion, 7.0 yards per attempt in the second half and overtime. So it seems like he settled in. He also has the fact that Jimmy Smith, the Ravens' top corner, is going to miss this game. So that helps. And then just overall with the Cardinals offense, we did get that elevated pace we were hoping for. Cardinals easily led the league in week one with a 42% no huddle rate. They were first in seconds per play. They were sixth in situation neutral pace. So I'm with you that I think you want to try to avoid the Cardinals passing game in this spot. But just going forward, I am still pretty encouraged by what we saw. I agree with that. And Kyler Murray took five sacks last game, but you have to take the volume into account there. He, Kyler Murray only saw the 23rd highest pressure rate among starting quarterbacks last week. So he was not under fire the way that we might have anticipated off the preseason. Now, that was also against a Detroit defense that's probably not going to rank as a very strong pass rush. So, you know, we'll see how all of this develops. I agree overall, not worried about Kyler Murray and the Cardinals being valuable in fantasy. I'm going to wait and see on them this week and try not to use them. Next week, though, they're back home for Carolina and then Seattle in the next two games. Kyler Murray could be a top 12 quarterback in our ranking for each of those. Yeah, I think so. Um, I do think that Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk are okay wide receiver threes if you need them in this spot. I'm monitoring Keyshawn Johnson, who saw 10 targets in in that opener. He was on the field for 76% of the snaps, so that was encouraging. And then David Johnson, I think this will be a good test for David Johnson's like floor, because it's obviously a tough matchup. The Ravens allowed the fewest fantasy points to running backs last year. The Finns running backs did nothing last week, but we got awesome usage out of DJ in week one. So you're obviously starting him here. And again, I think we'll, we'll, we'll sort of see you know, how, how reliable he'll be even, even in tough matchups this, this year. Yeah, I'm starting him with confidence in PPR. Probably knocking him down a bit in non-PPR, but he's probably not getting out of starter range there unless I'm in really good shape. The seven targets were a great number for a running back, but, you know, again, 44, 54 attempts for the team. It was only fourth on the team in mm-hmm. targets. Actually, wasn't he even behind Demir Bird. In that category. Um, he tied Demir Bird, who also had seven targets. Yeah, there you go. So I, I would assume that his target volume will stay fine, and he's mm-hmm. in a good spot for target volume this week. On the wide receivers, Baltimore allowed the seventh fewest PPR points to that position last year. You know, you, you mentioned Jimmy Smith being out. He's been in and out a lot over the past couple of years, so I think they've kind of learned how to deal without him being in there. They lost Tavon Young, who would have been one of their top three corners before the season started. So it, it's quite possible the Baltimore secondary is a little softer for this one, and we do get okay numbers from Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. Unfortunately, last week's Baltimore-Miami game gave us absolutely nothing to take away from in terms of judging that group. It's interesting to know, yeah, the Cardinals aren't the team you want to be facing with cornerback injuries because they went four wide receivers on 73% of their offensive snaps. So you had Larry Fitz and Christian Kirk playing over 90% of the snaps. Demir Bird, who you mentioned, 
88% of the snaps, and then Keyshawn Johnson, 76% of the snaps. So all those guys are going to be on the field a lot. And that sure looks like the way to attack Baltimore this week. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to watch. It might be I might have just talked myself into doing a <laughs> Kyler Murray and uh, one of his receivers DFS stack. Eh, probably not, but I mean, yeah. yeah Don't I tell be me what I can or can't I do be, with my lineup. I'm not going to do it. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I mean, we also didn't see... Kyler Murray's rushing ability in week one, which, which surprised me. I, I still think we will. But yeah, that'll be something to watch. Yeah. On Baltimore's side, I, using all the parts that I'm really considering, I, I I feel like we're probably a little bit low on Marquise Brown in the week two mm. rankings. I would have a tough time sitting him for Curtis Samuel on Thursday night if you're listening to this before that game. Mm-hmm. I would have a tough time sitting him for, for either of the Cardinals that we just talked about, as well as... Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Will Fuller. I think those are the key decisions. Mm. I wrote in my notes that I think Brown's like the toughest projection of the entire week. Because mm-hmm. you know, we know he only played 14 snaps in week one, only ran 10 routes, obviously had the massive game. though, And I do expect his playing time to grow in this game. The matchup's awesome again with Patrick Peterson out and Robert Alford out for the Cardinals. Um, but, you know, those other four guys you mentioned, they're all going to be on the field for like 80-plus percent of the snaps. So it's mm-hmm. tough for me. I would play all four of those guys over Marquise Brown. It is tough. I mean, it would be close to a coin flip in all of those cases, and we could absolutely see Marquise Brown get two targets this week mm-hmm. and Curtis Samuel get seven. Yeah. Uh, so it might end up being a bad decision, but, you know. Exciting to start Marquise to... Brown, at least. <laughs> right. Uh, using Mark Ingram, unless I'm loaded at running back, I'm not thrilled about him, but I th- he should be fine. We'll see if the Cardinals' run D is any good. Yeah, it is. It looks like it's going to be a three-man backfield here in in Baltimore, which doesn't kill Ingram, though, because this is still going to be a run-heavy offense. Um, Before Lamar Jackson exited at the end of the third quarter last week, it was 13 carries for Mark Ingram, eight for Gus Edwards, four for Justice Hill. So you basically had Ingram taking half of the running back carries. I think that's about where he's going to be this season. We'll see where Mark Andrews goes overall, but I'm sure starting him this week against the team that allowed (laughs) TJ Hawkinson six catches, 131 yards, and a touchdown. Exactly. And and to me, the playing time concerns I had with Andrews are are mostly gone. You know, he he led the Ravens in pass routes with 20 in week one. Um, Also led the team with eight targets. Mm Got to use the Baltimore D in -hmm. starter territory, I think, no matter how you feel about Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Yes, definitely. San Francisco at Cincinnati's up next. Bengals are two-point home favorites after opening as a one-and-a-half-point home underdog. Mm. So let's start with the home team here. And, you know, the question, is Andy Dalton going to throw for 400 yards again? Probably not. But the Niners did tie for the most touchdown passes allowed in the league last year. I'm not buying that they're a much tougher defense because of what they did in Tampa Bay in Week 1. I do have Andy Dalton outside the top 12. But I absolutely think that he's capable of finishing among the top 12 this week. So I, I'm okay with right. using him over some options. Football Outsiders ranks the Niners number one in pass D through, <laughs> through the first week. I, I'm fine they might be better this year, but I still don't think it's going to be you know worse than a middling matchup. I'm trying to stay conservative with Dalton after you know just one game where he had a ton of pass attempts. But I was encouraged just by how Zach Taylor's offense looked. Dalton back at home here. I think he's, I think he's okay. I hope you don't need to go that far down but if you're in a deeper league and you're a streamer I think Dalton's in play this week Mm -hmm. Tyler Boyd's matchup looks solid I think he's a solid play this week John Ross is the decision Mm -hmm. here I think more so and you know we like to look at the pro football focus matchup chart and if you look at that it looks like John Ross is going to see a lot of Richard Sherman but you got to kind of figure out exactly how much that's going to be. And last week, John Ross spent 19 snaps in the slot. He spent 17 on the left side. He spent 25 on the right side. Richard Sherman stays glued to left corner. So he would only face John Ross on those right wide receiver snaps. About a little bit more than a third of what he played, maybe about 40% of his total from last week. So it's entirely possible John Ross does nothing on the plays where he's facing Sherman and does absolutely fine on the rest of them. Sherman's still good, but Sherman can't run with John Ross. So, I mean, I, I think that that's a bad matchup for the 49ers. So, I, I'm starting John Ross over Marquise Brown this week. Um, I, again, I think the matchup's fine. And John Ross was on the field for 82% of the Bengals snaps in week one. He saw a team high 12 targets. So, I, I feel more comfortable with him uh, kind of, you know, following up his week one breakup. I agree. I would play John Ross over Marquise Brown as well. 
And I would probably play him over Curtis Samuel, I think, if I'm making that decision. Mm-hmm. Of course, by the time people listen to this, it's probably going to be past that one. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with Samuel this week. I mean, it was, it was sort of a dud from the Panthers' offense. I, mm-hmm. I kind of like that passing game to bounce back on Thursday here. Yeah. Joe Mixon did not practice Wednesday. Uh, he's dealing with an ankle injury. Do we know yet if he was on the field for Thursday? Nope, haven't seen anything. Um, yeah, I think if Mixon plays, you're starting him. If Mixon doesn't play, I think Gio Bernard is like a high-end running back, too. In the last four games that Joe Mixon has missed, Bernard's averaged 13 carries and 6.5 targets per game. Tyler Eifert played half the snaps in week one, but ran one more pass route than C.J. Uzama, who played mm-hmm. more than he did. Uh, Eifert tied for 11th among tight ends and targets. He tied for 5th in receptions, 3rd on the team in targets. So the overall passing volume is probably coming down this week, but... I like Eifert to stay as the number three, maybe the number four target, depending on what's going on at running back. Yeah, the Uzoma thing kind of sucks. I mean, you, you, both those guys ran a pass route on under half of Andy Dalton's dropbacks, which you know generally isn't what we're looking for out of a tight end. But I, I do like the spot for you know the Bengals passing game here, so I think Eifert's okay. He's a mm-hmm. much better touchdown bet this week than he was last. On the Niners' side, I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about at this point. Tevin Coleman's right. out. Dante Pettis barely played last week. I don't see a Niners receiver I'm trusting in week two. I'm not excited about Jimmy Garoppolo. Matt Breed is an option, but I don't think he quite makes it into comfy or even attractive RB2 range. I'd say Breed is not a must start. I think he's like a borderline RB2. I right. do think it's still going to be something like a you know two-to-one split with Raheem Mostert getting in there as well. After Tevin Coleman's last carry... Last week, it was 10 carries for Breda and one target, seven carries for Mostert, zero targets. I think that's going to be you know, kind of close to the breakdown. So, you know, maybe 15 or so touches for Breda this week. Yeah, and we saw where Mostert was coming on in the middle of last year before mm-hmm. he suffered that broken arm, that nasty broken arm. Uh, anything else from that game? Nope, mm-hmm. I'm with you. You have to avoid the wide receivers and Garoppolo. Didn't look good enough in week one for me to feel comfortable using him here. There's upside here for the season but I'm not trusting anything here for week two. Yeah, I, I will say Debo Samuel led the Niners wideouts and snaps in week one, so that's encouraging. Like that. I think he's a guy that I'd stash if I have room and mm-hmm. you know might be a starter by October. Right, he's somebody who's sitting on some of my benches, and I'll keep him there for, nice. uh, for now. LA Chargers at Detroit this week, 47.5 over under. Chargers are 2.5-point road favorites. I don't know if that has moved since the Hunter Henry injury, mm-hmm. but... We now know that Hunter Henry is gone for a while, suffered a tibial plateau fracture, which is a fracture in his leg. That's all we really need to know. Virgil Green's the next guy up. I don't have any idea if he's going to see any significant targets. He only saw 27 total targets all of last year. Yeah, I was a Virgil Green guy like five years ago, and he was (laughs) was in Denver. I'm kind of over that. So yeah, Hunter Henry out. Mike Williams sounds like he might be out with an injury he suffered in week one. So yeah, that that all has me down on Phillip Rivers in this, this spot. Yeah, Travis Benjamin, Dontrell Inman look like the next two wide receivers up. Uh, Travis Benjamin, I would I would say Travis Benjamin's a deep sleeper because if he gets more volume, he's always got the speed to to hit a big player too yeah. and make it a nice day even on low reception volume. Certainly a cheap DFS option, but I agree it, it worsens the outlook for Philip Rivers to lose a main red zone guy, maybe Mike Williams as well. Clearly a lower ceiling, maybe even a lower floor. Yeah, I mean, it really should be a pretty concentrated offense with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, who Mm -hmm. I think are obviously must-plays. And beyond that, I'm not interested in any chargers in this spot. Detroit, let's see what they look like when they're not running 80 plays, (laughs) throwing it 45 times. I think we can bet on a lot fewer of each of those this week, unless the chargers somehow jump out to a lead, which, you know, is not outside of the realm of possibilities. But... The Chargers allowed both efficient passing and running to the Colts last week at home. Uh, Football Outsiders rated them the second worst run defense of the week. So it's a potential rebound spot for on Johnson. And if he doesn't rebound, even to some degree this week, then yeah. it might really start to be time to worry. Yep, agree there. Um, 6.4 yards per carry for the Colts running backs last week against the Chargers. And we, we talked about on Johnson's usage on um, Tuesday's podcast. It was okay. You know, he still saw... 57% of the running back carries, only two targets. That's what you'd mm-hmm. like to see come up. But I, I still think yeah, in this spot, you're going to want to use him as an RB2. Yeah, if he goes forward having 55 to 60% of the running back carries, and that's the range he was in last week, that's fine. It would We would love to see him be more like 70-plus, but yeah. very few running backs get to that range. I would rather not use any Detroit receivers if I can help it this week. Kenny Galladay is likely to get a Casey Hayward shadow. Danny Amendola's got a tough matchup in the slot. Marvin Jones is already kind of 
hit or miss on volume. Yeah. I, I would love to just be able to avoid it. Yep, I'm with you here. Um, TJ Hawkinson's the guy I'm most excited about in the Lions passing game. And, and the matchup's not great. The Chargers were tough on tight ends last year. They held the Colts tight ends to just three catches on six targets in week one. But, I mean, TJ Hawkinson looked awesome. The usage was awesome. He ran a route on 72% of Stafford's dropbacks, saw 20% target share. So I'm, I'm buying Hawkinson as pretty much a weekly starter going forward. Maybe jumping the gun a little bit there after just one game, but obviously believe in the talent. And if he's going to get anywhere mm-hmm. close to that kind of usage, I think you know he, he's a tight end one. Yeah, I mean, he's bound to be up and down, but I'm playing him this week. The According to PFF, the top tight end cover guy for the Chargers is Adrian Phillips, who is the guy who's filling in for Derwin James. So it's it's worth betting that Detroit will at least try that spot and see how it, it can do with its star young guy. Uh, Minnesota at Green Bay is up next. 44-point over-under. Packers by three at home. My bold prediction for this game is that we get more than 10 pass attempts <laughs> for the Vikings. Yeah, yeah, this game is so hard to project for me because last year the Vikings passing game was awesome against the Packers. Kirk Cousins had... 425 yards and four touchdowns in the first meeting, 342 yards and three touchdowns in the second meeting. Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, even Kyle Rudolph had two nice games against the Packers last year, but there's just so much different on both sides. We obviously have the new offensive philosophy in Minnesota wanting to run the ball as much as possible, and then Green Bay has so many new pieces on defense, and the defense looked good in week one, but you know how, how much of that was playing Mitchell Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs is off the injury report this week at least so he destroyed the Packers last year nine for 128 and two in the first meeting eight for 77 and a touchdown in the other he has now scored in five straight meetings with the Packers so I'm back to starting Stefan Diggs with confidence obviously starting Adam Thielen with confidence Kyle Rudolph had seven catches in each of their meetings last year and has five plus receptions in four of the past five dating back to 2016 so I'm not going to call Kyle Rudolph a, a strong option because we're still sorting out exactly how run-heavy this offense is going to go, but I think he's got a much better floor than last week's numbers would indicate. Yeah, I agree. Again, you can't really take anything away from last week. Rudolph was on the field for every single Vikings offensive snap, though. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins only dropped back 14 times, but Rudolph did run a route on nine of those. So yeah, I still think he's in the mix, You know, the low-end, tight-end one mix, and I, I expect the Vikings to throw it you know, 30-plus times in this game. Who would you start among Kirk Cousins, Philip Rivers, and Andy Dalton this week? <sighs> <laughs> Philip Rivers probably just because I, I trust him most as a player. Yeah, none of them excite me as as you can tell. I want to I want to say Rivers, but I feel like if I'm staring at that decision on my lineup page, I'm probably sticking Andy Dalton mm-hmm. in there this week. It's, and I mean, Cousins is interesting too because, like I said, he did so well against Green Bay last year, and you know the Vikings are. Underdogs in this game, I, I I would bet on the Packers to you know win this game, probably be playing with the lead. So I, I think Cousins' volume is going to be way up. If Cousins had thrown the ball twenty times last <laughs> week and gone yeah. fifteen of twenty, then I would he would probably be my easy yeah. pick here this week. But I mean, if they throw twenty five times now instead of ten, that's still like <laughs> oh, I guess they're not really yeah. throwing the ball that much. So yeah, it, it would it'll be a tough decision if if you happen to be staring at those three quarterbacks. Yeah, Packers passed you by the way too is fourth in Football Outsiders DVOA through. Uh, you know, week one. So Football Outsiders is, is buying into them. I would consider using the Packers defense this week mm-hmm. if the streaming options are lacking in my league. On the offensive side, I'm a little, I guess I'll say torn on Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I want to say wary, but I'll go with torn. 26th last week in Pro Football Focus's adjusted completion rate and passing grade among full-time quarterbacks. He graded out well in both meetings with the Vikings last year, but the stats didn't follow. Uh, Aaron Rodgers only has only thrown... More than one touchdown pass once in the past six meetings with Minnesota. And, you know, granted, there are changes on both sides, but the Vikings still have a lot of the key defensive pieces that they've had for the past several years, including the coaching staff. So there are a couple of guys behind him that I would might play over. And Russell Wilson, I think, is the most realistic one that people might also have on a roster that has Aaron Rodgers. Phillip Rivers and Aaron Rodgers would be mm. close. But the two injuries that Rivers is dealing with would probably push me toward Rodgers. Yeah, me too. I'd lean Rodgers here. Not excited to use him this week. Yeah, I mean, Mike Zimmer's just sort of owned Aaron Rodgers. In Rodgers' eight games against Zimmer's Vikings, 238 yards per game, 1.9 touchdowns per game. And that's including one 347-yard, four-TD outing. Besides that, you know, there's really been nothing to get excited about in these matchups from Rodgers. Mike Zimmer's so unafraid of Aaron Rodgers, he wore an eye patch for a couple of those matchups <laughs> a couple of years ago yep. and was still doing it with just one <laughs> eye. 
Uh, it's a tough spot for Aaron Jones again. Mm-hmm. He fared fine, though, in the lone meeting with Minnesota last year. That's the only time that he's played them as their lead back. 17 carries in that game, 72 yards, one touchdown rushing, three catches for 21 yards on five targets. So yeah, I'm not comfy doing so, but I'm starting Aaron Jones most likely. Yeah, I was happy with what we got from him as far as a rushing role in week one. He saw 13 of the 18 running back carries. Jones only saw one target, though, and he only ran 16 pass routes versus 14 for Jamal Williams. So they were basically splitting the pass-catching work. Now, that, that's going to have to change if Aaron Jones is going to be you know, a high-end running back, too. But yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, At home, Packers favored. I, I'm going to use Jones in this spot. I would not be surprised if we get another sluggish fantasy performance from him, though. And maybe he's a buy option at yeah. that point, a buy low. And so for that reason, even if he doesn't produce for us, it'll be important to watch the usage and see if we get any change between him and Jamal Williams on those passing downs. Yeah, I think a lot of Packers could be buys after week two here. You know, starting with the Bears and Vikings, working in a new offense. I think, you know, it's not a surprise if they get off to a slow start, but I do think they'll get going eventually. Devontae Adams is, of course, an always start. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is interesting here, and somebody I feel good about low in wide receiver three territory, or as a PPR flex. Green Bay targeted Trey Waynes in coverage six times in each of the two teams' meetings last year, completed 11 of those 12 passes, not for huge yardage, but, you know, we'll take 11 completions on 12 attempts. MVS is better now than the number two wide receivers were for Green Bay in those games. They were Geronimo Allison and Randall Cobb in the first one. Equinemius St. Brown was the number two uh, wideout for Green Bay in targets in the second meeting. I think MVS is a better player than any of those three at this point. I think he's in a good spot, um, especially if Xavier Rhodes is playing mm-hmm. Devontae Adams tough this week. Yeah, and you know, Rhodes is going to shadow Adams, so so um, it's going to be Trey Waynes for MBS. And last week against Atlanta, Trey Waynes was targeted six times, gave up five catches for 62 yards and a touchdown. So yeah, I, I would feel fine with MBS as like my wide receiver three this week, and I think he's an interesting DFS tournament play. I agree. and We've seen, it's been a, a few years now, but we've seen... Green Bay go away from Xavier Rhodes when he is playing well and when he's locking down their number one receiver. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Graham's also in a solid spot. Of course, Austin Hooper had nine catches for the Falcons last week. We talked about that matchup. Jimmy Graham had six for 95 on eight targets in the week two meeting with Minnesota last year. Rematch came at a time when he was just slowing down overall from throwing it out. Yeah, and I I thought he looked good in the opener. You know, had the jump ball touchdown, um, had had a pretty nice catch and run. He hurdled um, one of the Bears defenders and drew a pass interference deep down the field. So I thought it was an encouraging game for Graham. And yeah, again, we talked about it with Hooper. I think with the Vikings corners, you could see more targets, you know, pushed towards Graham's way this week. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to play tight end in the NFL now unless you can hurdle at least (laughs) one tackler a game. Jacksonville at Houston, over under 43. Texans are now nine and a half point favorites. Gardner Minshew is making his first pro start. He was excellent against the Chiefs last week, 22 of 25. Looked good doing it. You know, the advanced metrics look good on him so far. These ain't the Chiefs, though. So I'm willing to be open to the possibility that he can surprise us again, but it's going to happen on my bench and with the Jaguars wide receivers on my bench. Yeah, I mean, you're not using Gardner Minshew. I think D.D. Westbrook is still in the wide receiver three mix, though. Um, Six of Minshew's 25 passes were intended for Westbrook last week. That's a 24% target share. Um, Westbrook also in the slot gets, I don't even know who, because the (laughs) Texans released Aaron Colvin, who got burnt in week one. So I, I think it's a good matchup for Westbrook, no matter who he's squaring off against. Yeah, Westbrook does have nine total catches and 48 total yards in his three career meetings with Houston, though. So I'm... That was with Blake Bortles, not Gardner Minshew. <laughs> right, <so> now <laughs> we got Gardner Minshew and his mustache to turn things around. Uh, I mean, I'm not playing him over guys like uh, Terry McLaurin and mm-hmm. uh, Marquise Brown and John Ross. I'm playing him over Marquise Brown, um, and then McLaurin and Ross would be close. I pr- I might even lean Westbrook in PPR leagues. I think you know you could catch five or six balls here. That's only because you still think Lamar Jackson should be a wide receiver. <laughs> Leonard Fournette likely starting basically just on volume. I would yeah. take a shot on Duke Johnson, though, over him, I think, in mm-hmm. that range. And PPR, well, I say PPR, yeah. but Leonard Fournette should see plenty of, of target volume. It, it, that's the kind of decision. I would have to make – I would have to flip a coin between him and Duke Johnson – him and Miles Sanders, him and Devin mm. Singletary, because mm. they're upside matchups. There's boom bust to them. These are the kinds of decisions that I'm not going to say to somebody, you should start Miles Sanders over Leonard Fournette. You should consider it, but 
Think about which one's going to bug you more if you make the wrong choice between them. I just think Fournette's such a better volume bet than mm-hmm. those guys. I mean, his usage was awesome in week one. 86% snap rate, saw 13 of 14 running back carries, um, six targets and 18% target share. Uh, Minshew targeted Fournette on four of his 25 passes, so it was a 16% target share there as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a volume guy, especially at running backs. So that, that's why I play Fournette over those guys you mentioned, even though it's obviously not a good spot for him as a big road underdog. And if they were playing almost anybody else besides <laughs> Houston, then I would agree. But I can envision this one going like last week did, where Houston jumps out to this huge lead, yeah. and even the lead running back for Jacksonville only carries it 13 times. Yep, I mean, that's where the passing game usage does help Fournette. And, I mean, I know it was the Saints, but Kamara and Latavius Murray ran all over Houston on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, honestly... <laughs> It's a decision I would have to make as I was staring at my lineup, and I would probably end up just going with Fournette, figuring that I would be more annoyed with myself if right. he ends up outscoring those guys on my bench. But yep. you know, that's the range where Fournette belongs, I think, this week at least. DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, has not had any trouble with the Jaguars. He has one sub-double-digit PPR outing over the past four years against this team. Yeah, I saw a, um, I think it was from this year's Pro Bowl, or this past year's Pro Bowl, where Jalen Ramsey, who usually says nothing good about anyone, <laughs> called DeAndre Hopkins the best wide receiver in the NFL. So a lot of respect yeah. there, probably because Hopkins has done well against him. Will Fuller is fine. He's had at least yeah. four catches and at least 42 yards in each of his three meetings with Jacksonville. But he's a wide receiver four for me this week, and I, I feel like there's more upside to McLaurin, Marquise Brown, John Ross. Will Fuller is in the Sammy Watkins spot from last week. We were all over Watkins, obviously. I, I think Fuller has similar, not not that type of upside from, from what Watkins gave us, but I, I like Fuller more than you here, I guess, like usual. Um, he did only see three targets in that first game, and it looks like Kiki Cutie is back for this week, which makes Fuller riskier, right. but... Fuller also had a 97% snap rate. He ran a route on 98% of Deshaun Watson's drop back. So he was a full-time player. Um, I think he'll continue to be even with Cutie back this week. Yeah, I'm not worried at all about Will Fuller's playing time, but he's not Sammy Watkins, (laughs) and Kansas City does not have DeAndre Hopkins. Tyreek Hill is good, but he's not DeAndre Hopkins in terms of target hog and as good a straight wide out. We've got Kiki Cutie coming back. We've got Kenny Stills. Probably growing in his role as well. I I think there's a target issue for yeah. Will Fuller here in an offense that also is probably going to be closer to balance than we would like them to be. Yep. I'm curious to see how this wide receiver rotation works out. I don't think you can use Stills or Kiki this week, though. I agree with that. Uh, New England at Miami, unless you had anything else in that game. Um, I'll talk Texans backfield because it was annoying oh, yeah, how, how much Carlos Hyde played and how he actually looked good. Like I, <laughs> I didn't expect that. Now, it actually ended up being um, 63% of the snaps for Duke Johnson, 37 for Carlos Hyde. Hyde out carried him 10-9, to 9, but Duke Johnson got the five targets. I think if we can get 10 to 12 carries out of Duke and like four or five targets, he's, he's going to be just fine. Yeah, I, I'm, I was annoyed as well. I'm not worried about him yet i want to see what another game looks like there i i mean i'm, I'm not shocked that carlos hyde looked pretty good yeah. uh because he had room to run and uh, sure. he's a decent running back yeah and i'll say in this spot with the texans likely to be playing with the lead i think he's in play as like an rb3 in non-ppr leagues only though i will say he at least looked good enough to make it seem like an odd decision for andy reed to cut him months after signing him yeah, it makes me wonder what yep. they saw from Carlos Hyde, where they were like, "You're not welcome to come into the season with yeah, us. That, we'll take whatever's yeah, yeah. available." That's why, like I said, I was surprised how, how good he looked on Monday night. It kind of makes you wonder if they got word that Lashawn oh, yeah. McCoy was going to be freed up, right? Because Hyde got cut first, right? Yes, or he got traded first. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's possible. All right, we'll <laughs> we'll move on from that. I, I you know, I, I think they're both in play for now, and we'll see how the playing time and carry split goes from here. New England at Miami, which isn't going to take very long. <laughs> Patriots are favored by as much as 19 points. They're more than three points ahead of the next team in terms of implied team total, even on the road. Yeah, what's the spread up to now? Is it 18 and a half last I saw? I mean, that's that's the highest I think I've ever seen at the NFL level. There are some people saying that it's 19. I, I, and I still wouldn't take Miami plus the points. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you're going to start all your Patriots. You know, I think even... Rex Burkhead is in play after he got a lot more run than we were expecting in week one. He had eight carries and eight targets, and 
this is a game where you're going to see someone like Burkhead, maybe even after Sonny Michelle kind of takes the lead early, maybe it's Burkhead late. Uh, I feel like Rex Burkhead would be the guy that they would take out late because he's the <laughs> one that always gets hurt. Yeah. And Sonny Michelle, for what it's worth, carried twice on the final drive against the Steelers mm-hmm. last week. So I'm not worried about them pulling Sonny Michelle late. I think he's a starter this week. 15 carries for 14 yards against Pittsburgh, which sucks, but... He did get 15 carries at the solid level, carried 25 and 20 times against the Dolphins last year. Uh, and again, they didn't pull him late, even though they were beating yeah. up the Steelers. So I'm not worried about that. Yeah, I thought he looked sluggish against the Steelers, which was surprising because he looked so good in that preseason game against the Panthers. But yeah, definitely going back to him this week. Yeah, maybe this week he'll look a little more like Carlos Hyde. <laughs> On the Dolphins side, I am not starting nope. a thing. Nope, that's exactly what I said. The rare time where there's not a single guy I want to start. Yes. Buffalo at the Giants up next, which is, you know you're bad when Buffalo at the Giants is a more intriguing game than yours. So, Bills are one and a half point road favorites here. It's down from two and a half. Sean McDermott said Wednesday that Frank Gore is still his starting <laughs> running back. He might want to tell that to the playing time for his run his own running backs. But, so he also said, I think, that he didn't want to tip his hand to the opponent. So, it, it, it's coach speak. What we know from last week is that Devin Singletary was on the field more and played better. Yeah, I think it was a sneaky, encouraging opener for Singletary. 70% snap rate when Gore was down in, in, in the 20s. Um, only four carries for Singletary. All of them went for, for double-digit yards. Yeah. Um, and he also saw six targets. Um, yeah, so I, I, I like Singletary as like a running back three this week. Yeah, runs of 20, 23, 12, and 15 <laughs> yards. Frank Gore had 20 yards total on his 11 carries in that game. As you mentioned, third on the team in targets for Singletary. So he's he's a shot I'm worth taking. He's a shot I'm considering taking at the yeah. bottom of RB2 territory. And he, he's in the, the area where, like I said, you kind of have to decide whether you want to bet on the upside of Singletary, knowing that you might get like eight total touches mm-hmm. versus the downside risk of Fournette, knowing that you're probably going to get yeah. 20 touches. Yeah, and honestly, I'd be surprised if Singletary only got eight touches. I mean, I'd, I'd put his floor like closer to 12 with the passing game work. And again, if he's playing 70% of the snaps, you're going to you're gonna bank on more than four carries going forward. Mm-hmm. John Brown's 10 targets in week one make him a comfy start for me. I'm assuming he does for you too. Oh yeah, 27% of the targets. Um, 133 air yards for John Brown, those 13th among wide receivers. So he's getting those deep balls. You know, That's what makes him such a good fit with Josh Allen. Probably going to see a lot of Janoris Jenkins in this spot, but again, you know, I, I think I, it's it, it's a matchup. Brown can win plenty. Yeah, and Janoris Jenkins is the kind of guy who could be awesome this week, and he could be <laughs> terrible. So you you kind of don't adjust your outlook for him right now. We'll see if something changes this year. Cole Beasley had a very Cole Beasley day. He got <laughs> nine targets against the Jets, caught five of them for forty yards, which looks exactly like what he has always ever done. He's no more than a low PPR flex, I think. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you're not using Beasley in weeks like this where we have you know 32 teams to work with but in PPR leagues I think he's a good guy just to have on your bench for you know when the heavy bye week starts to hit you can plug Beasley in and get like eight to ten points out of him. Josh Allen I think showed exactly why you want him in best ball and not in a lineup setting league he stunk for three quarters then he threw a 38 yard touchdown pass to win it he had 38 yards on the ground plus a touchdown so he ended up with a pretty good fantasy day and not the kind of day that you want to trust or project from or watch. Yep, he finished quarterback 13. So he's now finished as a top 13 fantasy quarterback in six of his last seven games dating back to last season, despite, like you said, not playing well in a lot of those games. Now he gets the Giants who just got lit up by Dak Prescott. So I I'm starting to force myself to just rank Josh Allen higher, even though I still think he's a bad quarterback. Yeah, he's the one you just look past. I mean you have to know even if you love Josh Allen and he is your primary option fantasy, you have to know anytime you start him, there's the chance that he implodes and throws two to three yep. interceptions and scores no touchdowns. He, I mean, the, the rushing floor obviously helps. I mean, I think he had like 10 carries in week one. <laughs> uh, anything else on the Bills side? Nope. The Giants, it's the, pretty much the same as last week. Saquon, yeah. it's Evan Engram, and that's it, especially because Sterling Shepard's in the concussion protocol and we don't even know if he'll play. Right. If if Shepard does play, I think he's like, okay, in deeper PPR leagues. He did run uh, 98% of the routes on Eli's dropbacks, 15% of the targets. Nice matchup, too, against the Bills, who just allowed that 14-catch game to Jamison Crowder in the slot. Shepard's still mostly a slot guy. Did you do you happen to know how much time he uh, spent in the slot? In I, I don't, but I did look, and it, it was the majority of the time they were okay. using Latimer and I think Benny Fowler on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good they are. Is they're sticking uh, the slottiest of slot guys, Benny Fowler, on the outside. <laughs> uh, all right, so we'll move on to Seattle and Pittsburgh now. 
Pittsburgh's back home, four-point favorites despite what happened in New England. Uh, the Steelers allowed 16 touchdown passes at home versus 12 on the road last year, but six of those came from Patrick Mahomes. They only averaged 1.4 touchdown passes allowed per game at home without Mahomes' game. It's an okay spot for Russell Wilson, especially if the Pittsburgh run D remains strong. It was stronger than the pass D last year, stronger than the pass D last week for sure. I would like to have a better option, but I think Russell Wilson's okay. I do think it's a rebound spot for Tyler Lockett. Me too, assuming Lockett's healthy. He missed practice Wednesday with a back injury. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I, he, he seemed to come out of last week's game fine. Maybe it was just a day off. We'll update that, obviously. And I like Russell Wilson to ha- have a nice game here, assuming Lockett's healthy. I think his pass volume is going to be up in this box. I do think the Steelers' offense will put points on the board. Russell Wilson, too, last year. Better completion rate, yards per attempt, yards per game, and touchdowns per game on the road. He also had more attempts, more yards, more touchdown passes and losses than wins. And the Seahawks, obviously, here are road underdogs. So I think it's a good spot. Again, if Lockett's healthy. If not, that that's going to hurt Russ. And, of course, we'll see if the Steelers are good enough to actually be four-point home favorites. Sure. So that's all developing. <laughs> uh, the Steelers, by the way, allowed the 19th most fantasy points to quarterbacks overall last year. 14th most to tight ends, 12th most to wide receivers. So if Lockett is healthy, uh, there is some upside there. I'm not using DK Metcalf yet. It was an impressive opener for him. If Tyler Lockett's out, then maybe we like the target upside for him. But otherwise, I would rather wait and see him do it again. So I'd rather, just like talking about the breakouts from last week, I'd rather play McLaren and John Ross. I I think I'd even lean Metcalf over Marquise Brown, though, again, just because of playing time. Metcalf played 78% of the routes, 30% target share. Steelers might also be missing Joe Hayden this game, their top cornerback who, you know, is an outside corner and would will be covering Metcalf if he's healthy. It's really too bad that we didn't get an even a somewhat competitive game in Miami to know whether Marquise Brown would yeah. have, you know, doubled that snap count if the game were anywhere close. Yep. Chris Carson is a volume play. It's yeah. a tough spot, though. Pittsburgh was 8th against the run compared with 17th against the pass last year. As I said, looked similar in Week 1, maybe even worse against the pass, so it might even motivate it further. But Chris Carson's going to get the ball because Seattle is going – it's just stubbornly going to run the ball. Yep. Carson's basically Leonard Fournette. I mean, not a good spot, but I think volume makes him a pretty easy fantasy starter to me. On the other side, Ben Roethlisberger is on the starter fringe while we wait to see if his receivers are going to come join him. It's a negative matchup, though, for Vance McDonald, by according to last year's numbers. Really? I, I actually hadn't seen that. I sort of like Vance. To, I, I like the Steelers' offense to bounce back here in general. Um, I just think going on the road to New England, who's a team that just owns them in general, I think the Patriots are like, are like a top-five defense this season. Now the Steelers head back home. We know about Big Ben's home road splits, and I don't think the Seahawks' defense is very good. They just gave up that big game to Andy Dalton. Yeah, there's upside to him, but I, I'm i going to have to see it before I feel comfy with him. It doesn't help that I just think he's an a-hole. <laughs> well, he definitely is an a-hole. He also needs Juju Smith to be healthy, who has a toe injury. He did put it in a limited practice on Wednesday. Sounds like he's going to play. Would be nice to see him get in a full practice on uh, Thursday or Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the Vance front... It, Fantasy points allowed, football outsiders ratings, both say that Seattle was top 10, I believe, in terms of matchup for uh, tight ends. Top 10 on the bad side. So for me, I'm trying not to use anybody beyond Juju and James Conner this week. You know, Roethlisberger in play if that's the range I'm looking for a quarterback. Yeah, I'm crossing my fingers for James Washington to start to eat into Dante Moncrief's snaps here because Moncrief was horrible in that opener. Um, no. Washington, Washington, Washington ran around on sixty percent of Big Ben's dropbacks. That's actually higher than I would have guessed. So pretty encouraging. Yeah, an intriguing start there. And you know, Dante Moncrief continues to be Dante Moncrief. So yeah. I would assume that he doesn't keep the number two role going forward. Indianapolis at Tennessee. Titans are three point home favorites. Jacoby Brissett was good. At the Chargers, the Titans, though, meanwhile, limited the Browns to 13 points. They picked Baker Mayfield three times. It was a decent defense last year. Finished third in scoring, finished eighth in yards, held the Patriots to 10 points in Tennessee, held the Texans to 17 points in Tennessee. I'm not betting on the Colts offense this week. Yeah, not not a spot for Jacoby Brissett. Football Outsider says the Titans second in pass defense through week one. Brissett obviously lost Devin Funches, so that doesn't help either. I think even T.Y. Hilton's a bit worrisome. Two catches or fewer in three of his past four meetings with Tennessee. Had a big game against the Titans at Indy last year in the other meeting among those four. Adore Jackson can run with mm-hmm. him. It's not going to be a shadow, I don't think. But he's he's one of the few corners who's capable of running with T.Y. Hilton. So I think that hurts Hilton a little bit. 
still in starter territory, but Hilton's probably sitting in like 26, 27 range for me this week. At yeah, Wanda. yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think most teams will be using him. I'm not excited about him in this spot. Uh, Hilton did see a 33% mm-hmm. target share last week, and I, I do think you know he'll be up around at least 25% for the season. Yeah, I mean, that's the saving grace for him. If he sees 10 or 11 targets this week, right. I mean, he can catch four, have a bad day efficiency-wise, and still go for 70 yards, and that's a you know fine number. Yeah, and we, we talked about it um, on Tuesday's podcast, how Brissett's average depth of, of throw is super low in week one. I think that's going to continue. So it sounds crazy, but Hilton might be more of a floor play than a ceiling play this year. Yeah. For this week, I would play Cooper Cup, Alshon Jeffrey, Allen Robinson over him, and I, I would have a tough time playing Hilton over Tyrell Williams this week. Mm, Tyrell, man, he looked good. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that's the range that Hilton belongs in. And for my personal lineup, I would probably play Tyrell over Hilton. I'm going to let folks make that decision on their own, though, <laughs> yeah. if that's a decision you're making. We're a little excited for Tyrell around here. <laughs> yeah. I'm not using Indianapolis tight ends yet until they Oof. make me do so. No, so it was um, Eric Ebron running routes on 53% of the dropbacks in week one, Jack Doyle on 43% of the dropbacks, targets were three for Ebron, two for Doyle, so yeah, if one of them goes down, the other guy might be a starter, but until now, I think they're both hands off. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Marlon Mack, kind of like others starting on volume, because he's going to get the ball. Yeah, um, yeah, we talked about the Colts were fourth in run, run rate in week one, despite trailing most of that game. Mack led the entire league with 25 carries. It would still be nice to see him get some more action in the passing game, but if he's going to get you know even 15-plus carries a game, he's, he's going to be a starter for most fantasy teams. On the Titans side, Derrick Henry's a fairly easy start now as a home favorite after delivering on the road. Yeah, and I mean, Henry ended up getting good game script in Cleveland, which we didn't expect. The Titans led that game for like about 40 of the 60 minutes. Um, You know, he's still, Derrick Henry still only saw two targets, only ran a pass route on 31% of the dropback. So he's still, you know, pretty much a two down player. But like you said, home favorite here. Should be a spot where the Titans can get Henry 20-plus carries. And a monster on screen passes, apparently. (laughs) I guess so. Corey Davis has yet to reach 50 yards in three career meetings with the Colts so far. And he's coming off a three-target, zero-catch opener. So I'm sure trying not to use him this week. I'm not using him. I'm sitting him behind all of the other receivers I've talked about to this point. Yeah, I think... I would too. Even even Marquise Brown, which sort of goes against you know what I would usually do. With, you, know, you know, Davis did lead, lead the Titans wide receivers in snaps and routes, but even then he only ran a route on you know seventy two percent of Mariota's dropbacks. A decent number, but not like what you want out of a lead wide receiver. Yeah, and the problem with him volume wise is this is a low volume pass offense, yeah. and Delaney Walker is arguably the number one target when both of these guys are healthy. So it's yeah. not like Corey Davis is clear lead target for Tennessee and we're sitting him for something else. Yeah, and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if by October, A.J. Brown's the number one wide receiver here. Yeah, for A.J. Brown, I'm going to need to see it again before I'm bothering uh, considering him for my lineup. I'm certainly open to the idea of him advancing in this offense, but again, the low-volume pass offense makes it easier for me to just sit back and watch what happens. Yep, agree. Good stash, but don't use him this week. Delaney Walker, on the other hand, has caught four-plus balls in eight Mm. straight meetings with the Colts. (laughs) He missed both of them last year, but was, of course, back last week. Five catches, 55 yards, two touchdowns on six targets against Cleveland. I'm starting Delaney Walker pretty comfortably. Yep, me too. Colts allowed the second most fantasy points to tight ends last season, and then they gave up uh, four catches for 60 yards on five targets to Hunter Henry in week one. And even though starting the Chargers D did not work out against the Colts, I still think the Titans are an upside option this week. Not a safe one, not a high floor option, but an option, an upside option. I don't know. I I, I like the Titans defense. I still think the Colts are going to be a bad matchup though. It's still a great O-line. And again, I think they're going to be run heavy. Uh, Jacoby Brissett's going to play conservative. So I, I just don't think it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah. Not a terrific option, but uh, on the, on the streaming fringe, I, I would probably play Tennessee over Green Bay this week, but it would be close. That's the range in which I'm considering them. It's close, yeah. Hopefully you can grab uh, you know, Dallas or Cleveland or who else, Buffalo. I mean, there should be better options out there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly you can always use our weekly rankings to make those decisions. And you might hear me on the show contradict the rankings that I helped put together. <laughs> sure. uh, so go with the rankings over what I say here most of the time. <laughs> Dallas at Washington. Cowboys are four-and-a-half-point road favorites, but that's down from six-and-a-half, probably because people have been watching the Case Keenum film from week <laughs> one. So... Dak Prescott's likely coming down from last week after he hit 400 yards, but I think he and his key passing game pieces are good enough 
to keep them all in starter range in this matchup that's not scary for them. Do you want to talk about Dak's home road splits and talk them down for this week? Because I'm I'm not really buying no. in, into him, especially, again, I love what I saw out of this offense under Kellen Moore in week one. And, I mean, the home road splits were wide last year, but the year before they weren't. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not worried about Dak as a home versus road yeah. guy right now, especially before the weather turns. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll throw it out there. He struggled in Washington. His last three games have been 273 and one score, 143 zero scores, 292 zero scores. But again, I, I'm kind of just throwing this stuff out. I, I believe in Dak as like a weekly starter at this point. Yeah, I mean, the last time that they played, I think when they played at Washington last year, they did not have Amari Cooper yet. I think that was right before he got there. And it was a rainy day yep. in Washington. Yep. And then before that, he had weak wide receivers. So, I mean, this is a totally different pass offense than those recent games. So, yeah, I, I'm throwing out the home road splits. And I mentioned the home road splits for Amari Cooper when we were doing our rankings for the week. They're drastic. He's played seven home games now, five road games as a Cowboy, if you include the playoffs, and week one of this year. And he has been way better at home than on the road. So I'm watching this one to see if that continues to be a trend. But I'm not going to knock Amari Cooper out of starter range based on that when it could very easily prove to be... Uh, you know, just noise. Yeah, I'd say Cooper's still a must start to me, and we'll we'll you know see if he struggles in this one. We'll start to reconsider going forward. Cooper had that massive game on Thanksgiving against Washington last year, 180 yards, two touchdowns. That that was obviously in Dallas. Yeah, Cooper should see more of Josh Norman, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be a shadow situation. He and Michael Gallup will probably both see some Josh Norman. I'm starting both of those guys. I'm going to have a hard time starting anybody over Michael Gallup in the yeah. range where I'm considering him this week after what he did in week one. Yeah, 22% target share, uh, ran around on 83% of Dak Prescott's targets. So Gallup is pretty much like an every week wide receiver three for me at this point. Mm-hmm. No thanks on Randall Cobb, though. I think as the passing volume or passing efficiency comes down necessarily from yeah. where it was in week one, I think Randall Cobb's the first one to suffer. Yeah, no thanks on Cobb. No thanks on Jason Witten, despite his touchdown <laughs> against the Giants, which he always does. If you could get Blake Witten as sure, a yeah, tight yeah. end here, I'd, I'd use him probably. Yep. And by the way, that's Blake Jarwin plus Jason <laughs> Witten. I didn't just forget somebody's name there. On the Washington side, Terry McLaurin and Vernon Davis are the best options. I, I think McLaurin's in for a better than 16% target share, which is what he saw in week one. So even when their passing volume comes down, I think he's going to do fine on the target front. Yep. And Dallas doesn't have anybody in the secondary that's scaring me away from McLaurin after what I watched him do in week one. Number one corner, Byron Jones, they're easing back after he had off-season hip surgery. It's been happening throughout the summer, and he only played 40% of the snaps against the Giants, so that further makes yeah. them unscary. Yeah, you don't want a bad hip when you're facing McLaurin, who ran a 4-3-something. <laughs> um, he had 143 air yards in the opener, which was eighth most among wide receivers. So yeah, out of all the breakout you know, young week one wide receivers, McLaurin's my favorite this week. Mm-hmm. At tight end, Dallas just allowed 11 for 114 mm-hmm. and a touchdown to Evan Ingram. Last year's Cowboys allowed the eighth most PPR points to the position. So if Jordan Reed's still out, Vernon Davis is like is like tight end 12 for me. Yep. And if Jordan Reed's back, then Jordan Reed's a starter. Yep, I agree. All right. Adrian Peterson, I think, is only an option if you're hard up. Football Outsiders had the Cowboys defense last year, 16th against the pass, fifth against the run. I don't see why it should be terribly different this time around. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be stepping into Darius Geis' role, probably even less because Geis played a bit on passing downs. I don't think Peterson, I think Peterson will play less on passing downs. And Geis last week played 36% of the snaps, had just 10 carries. So I'm not excited to use Adrian Peterson. Is Chris Thompson going to lead the team in targets again this week? Um, I think he'll lead the backfield in fantasy points. I would rather start Thompson than Peterson. Definitely in PPR, definitely in half PPR, even in non-PPR, I might just start Thompson because, you know, those those receiving yards still add up. Yeah. I mean, Chris Thompson's not an exciting option, but he's a PPR bailout if you need something at running back, mm-hmm. if you're suddenly in rough shape with injuries and other things. Yeah, Cowboys allowed the fifth most running back catches last season. What about Case Keenum? You all over him this week? No, no Keenum. Yes, I'm much more willing. I'm much more willing to bet on repeats from Lamar Jackson and even Andy Dalton than I am Case Keenum. Definitely. Kansas City at Oakland. I think that, you know, we're going to ignore like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and all that. I think you start Damian Williams. There's buzz surrounding LaShawn McCoy right now. Of course, he was he had a lot more on the ground than Damian Williams did. But Williams was the clear leader on the receiving end. He was the clear leader in the red zone where he got eight total opportunities versus one apiece for LaShawn McCoy and Darwin Thompson. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and start Damian Williams, even though... If I drafted him, which I didn't, uh, I'm now, you know, disappointed in my investment. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I have Williams as like a borderline running back one in this spot just because I expect the, the Chiefs to score a lot of points like they usually do. Mm-hmm. Well, Sean McCoy, to me, is in that like Devin Singletary, Miles Sanders mix. I think, you know, they're about similar volume bets. I'd expect like 10 to 14 touches for McCoy in this spot. Yeah, I would play certainly Miles Sanders over LaShawn McCoy. Right. I think McCoy versus Singletary would be close. So you like Sanders. I, I mean, I guess we'll get to Sanders, but... Yeah, I just think that he he's the one that we know is likely to lead his backfield and carries among these three guys. That's fair. And obviously, the uh, I guess I shouldn't say the best offense, talking about the Chiefs, but a better right. offense than Singletary's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think Philly and KC are pretty close in terms of offensive outlook. Yeah, this week, yep. Elsewhere on the Chiefs offense, I would wait on Nicole Hardman. You know, worth picking up this week, but I would wait on using him until we see what the Tyreek Hill replacement plan looks like. Sounds like they're also going to use plenty of DeAnthony Thomas. Right, yep, that's what Andy Reid said yesterday. Um, I'm probably going to throw Hardman in a DFS tournament lineup, but I agree I wouldn't want to use him in season long yet. I think even there he's probably going to be like over Yeah, we'll we'll see. I don't know. We'll we'll see, I guess. Yeah, be curious to check those numbers tomorrow. I hope that Fanshare has those updated early for (laughs) that. Me too. Demarcus Robinson, same kind of deal. I think there's upside there. He's the one that I might think about stashing in a DFS lineup because I Hmm. don't think that he's going to – Generate as much excitement as Hardman, but, you know, we'll look at prices and look at projected ownership there. And for lineup setting, regular, full season fantasy, I would try not to use any of these guys this week. I agree. Yeah, I really think we're just going to see more targets pushed towards Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins and maybe even Damian Williams. On the Raiders side, I feel good about Josh Jacobs. Mm-hmm. feel good about Darren Waller. feel great about Tyrell Williams. Oh, yeah. Um, 100% snap rate for Williams in the opener. Um, saw 27% of the targets. The Chiefs, two of the Chiefs cornerbacks, Kendall Fuller, who's their slot guy, and then Charvarius Ward. They both got lit up last week. So I think it's an excellent matchup for Tyrell Williams. The Raiders should throw it a bunch more this week than they did against Denver, and they were leading basically that entire game. Derek Carr had a nice week one. He's not, he's not in the top 12. He's in the same range as Andy Dalton. It would basically be a toss-up between him and Andy Dalton in streamer territory this week for me. I like Carr pretty easily over Dalton. He'd be my top streamer, I think even over Josh Allen. Carr's last two home games against the Chiefs, 285 yards, three touchdowns, 417 yards, three touchdowns. And, of course, the Chiefs just allowed 350 yards and three touchdowns to the combination of Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew last week. Yes. So, yeah, we'll see if those two things become trends. The Chiefs being terrible and Derek Carr being solid despite uh, Antonio Brown (laughs) making his way out of town. Anything else on that game before we move on? That's it. All right, Chicago at Denver, uh, a low over and under, Mm -hmm. 40.5 total points. Really doesn't get a whole lot lower than that in the NFL most of the time. Bears are road favorites. I think on the Chicago side, you got to start Allen Robinson after a big week one. Not a lock for production, but the Broncos are coming off their own bad defensive performance, and Robinson saw 29% of Bears targets. Yep, Robinson's the only Bear I'd want to use. Matchup's not ideal, but he looked awesome in Week 1 and should continue to see a big share of the targets. Yeah, I agree. I'm not looking at any other Bears seriously. Uh, we'll see how and when David Montgomery's role grows. Yeah, it wasn't good, obviously, in Week 1. Just 38% of the snaps, 6 carries, 1 target when he had you know 7 targets for Mike Davis, 10 targets for Tariq Cohen. So that that's what hurts, is that it looks like the Bears don't trust Montgomery in passing situations yet. And on the Denver side, I don't want to <laughs> use anything. I mean, if they were not playing Chicago, then I could see Emmanuel Sanders or Cortland Sutton, but... Yeah. I'm I'm out if I can well, be. The, the Bears were just 16th last year in fantasy points allowed to, to wide receivers, and I mean they have good corners, but they're not great corners. And mm-hmm. I, I think I think Sutton and Sanders are wide receiver threes this week. I saw Joe Flacco getting a lot of pressure from the Raiders, <laughs> and now he's going to play the Bears. So that's fair. Sutton looks good though on Monday night. Yeah, if he if the ball gets to him, he'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just I I would be have to be hard up. All of the yeah. other guys that I've talked about in the wide receiver decision portions of this show wow. i would start all of them over either mm-hmm. sutton or sanders this yeah week. i'm definitely higher on sanders and sutton than you are um another interesting note about this game that the bears coming off the long week playing on thursday and the broncos coming off a super short week playing the late monday night game so that that could be a factor there you go at running back by the way if i'm wondering about philip Lindsay, i would rather play somebody like miles sanders over philip Lindsay. uh so would i obviously a brutal matchup against the Bears on the ground. Lindsey and Royce Freeman basically split carries in week one. Lindsey did see the six targets, which helps. But yeah, he's not an exciting play this week. Mm -hmm. And I think both defenses look like starters in this matchup. I think they're both top five plays this week. There you go. 
New Orleans at the Rams and what could be like the DFS killer. I mean, with the <laughs> with Philly and Atlanta not on the main yeah. slate, New Orleans and, and LA is going to be the center of that universe. Uh, we know that Drew Brees is a much better bet at home, but last year did include road games of 396 and three at Atlanta, 212 and two at Baltimore. 265 and three at Cincinnati. That was on only 25 attempts. So he's mm-hmm. capable of putting yeah. up numbers on the road. Of course, home against the Rams last year twice was terrific in the regular season win over the Rams, was not very good in the playoff loss to the Rams. So after all that, I would say Drew Brees is not exciting this week because he is on the road. I would also not go crazy for a replacement. If I'm looking at players such as Andy Dalton and Derek Carr, yeah. I would go ahead and keep Drew Brees in my lineup. So would I definitely over Dalton. I think I'd, I'd just roll with Drew Brees over Derek Carr, even though I do think it's close. Yeah, Brees finishes a top 12 quarterback in two of his eight road games last season. I do think this is a spot where he, he could finish top 12 because it should be a high-scoring game. But the, the way to beat the Rams' defense is on the ground. Last year, they were 27th in football outsiders' run defense rankings. They were 9th against the pass. And then even last week, the Rams held Cam Newton to 239 scoreless yards, but allowed 6.7 yards per carry to Christian McCaffrey. So I do think it should be a run-heavy game plan from the Saints. Yeah, I agree. And I, I won't be shocked if we finish this week with both Andy Dalton and Derek Hart outscoring Drew Brees. But I would be... Much angrier with myself if I get to Monday and I lost because I played Derek Carr over Drew Brees than because I played Drew Brees over Derek Carr. I agree. Uh, Traquan Smith scored a touchdown in week one, but Ted Ginn beat him 7-2 to in targets. Both of those guys played enough snaps to stay relevant. They both got over 70% playing time. I'm playing Ted Ginn first, but I think both are within consideration. I think both will be in consideration in, in better spots. But again, on the road where I think it's going to be a run-heavier game plan, I wouldn't want to use either. Yeah, I would try not to use either. And none of neither of these guys is playing over all of the wideouts we've talked about uh, previously in the show. I would probably I would probably play the Broncos over the Saints, but that's kind of the level where I would be making a decision between like Ginn and Oh yeah. I think he, I would go volume on Sutton and Sanders over Ginn. It's it's easily Sutton and Sanders for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, Jared Cook saw just three targets against Houston despite 43 Drew Brees pass attempts. Uh, I'm less interested this week in him than I was heading into last week. He's still near the starter fringe, but the Rams were fifth in tight end coverage last year, according to Football Outsiders. Yeah, they also allowed the 10th most fantasy points to tight end, so kind of conflicting stuff there. But yeah, just the three targets for Cook, so it was a 7% target share. You ran a route on 67% of Drew Brees' dropbacks, which is an okay number, but you definitely like that to, to be higher going forward. I will say on that front, Eric Weddle is in the concussion protocol this week. He was a limited participant Wednesday, but if he's out, then rookie Taylor Rapp is probably their primary guy in tight end coverage, and that switch could turn Jared Cook into a specific target for the Saints on Sunday, and I think that would make me much more interested. I like it. On the Rams side, I think you start all the options. We talked in the Tuesday pod about reasons not to be too worried about Todd Gurley right now. We'll distill them down into these main points. It was bad luck for him to just not be on the field when Malcolm Brown got those two short touchdown runs. And it was kind of bad luck to not see more targets because Todd Gurley ran 30 of the Rams' 37 running back pass routes. Yep, and there's a lot of negativity in like the fantasy industry right now about Todd Gurley. So I (laughs) I actually think he's a buy right now. Again, I do still think he can be like a lower-end running back one with the type of usage we saw in week one. Um, so you're starting Todd Gurley. I think Malcolm Brown is in the running back three mix in non-PPR leagues. He saw 11 carries in week one, zero targets, only ran six pass routes. So he's basically going to be a zero in the passing game. But, you know, I think you can get eight to 12 carries out of him again in this game. Yeah, I agree with that. The player I want to highlight is Cooper Cup. Uh, matchup with P.J. Williams in the slot. The Texans were targeting P.J. Williams on Monday night. And Cooper Cup faced the Saints in Week 9 last year, caught five balls for 89 yards and a touchdown. He faced the Saints in Week 12 of 2017. He caught eight balls for 116 yards. Both of those games saw the Rams have three fantasy-relevant wide receivers. So he can produce. They can have multiple guys produce. It's a good spot for everybody. Yep, I love it. I'm big on the Rams passing game this week. Um, We talked about the Saints. The better way for them to attack is on the ground. For the Rams, it's the opposite. Um, the Saints were 22nd in Football Outsiders past the last season, third against the run. And we talked last week last week about Jared Goff's home road splits, and he struggled on the road. He's back at home now. Yeah, and same, same deal with him as what we said with Dak earlier, where last year it was drastic, the year before it was not. We'll see what it looks like this year, but certainly 
Jared Goff is at least as good a bet at home and probably at least a slightly better bet at home. Yep. Philadelphia at Atlanta on Sunday night, a 51-point over-under. Eagles are one-point favorites. The Falcons allowed the sixth-most passing yards in the league last year, but just the 24th-most pass plays of 20-plus yards, just tied for 21st-most in pass plays of 40-plus. In 2017, it was similar. They were a much better pass defense overall. They had both of their safeties healthy then. They had middle linebacker Deion Jones, who's a good cover guy, healthy then. So they were much better overall. They were still better at limiting long pass plays that season than they were in limiting passing yardage overall. Deshaun Jackson is kind of the reason that I'm going through all that. He played three times against the Falcons as a buck, had eight catches for 60 yards on 11 targets in one of them, one catch for 11, four for 77 on nine targets. So it didn't do a whole lot against the Falcons in the last few times. Yeah, so I'd say he's a good fade in, in DFS, you know, if you're playing this this Sunday night game. He's still in the mix for me as oh, like yeah. a wide receiver three for season long. I, I think the I think the Eagles offense is gonna have plenty of success here. Yeah, and they were targeting Deshaun Jackson in the short range as well, not just deep. I think that the Falcons playing the deep ball well makes Alshon Jeffrey as strong and maybe a little stronger of a bet than Deshaun Jackson heading into yep. this one. Both certainly in starter range, I think. Yep. Willing to take a shot, as I've mentioned on Miles Sanders this week. On the running back two fringe, there's still risk. I mean, it, it was a it was a true committee last week. The the carries were not split widely. I know he had he had what thirteen or twelve. Yeah, at the it, end was, of the game. it was eleven for Sanders, nine for Sproles, and six for Jordan Howard. Yeah, Sanders did lose one more on the touchdown run, twenty one yard touchdown run, where JJ Arcega Whiteside was called for holding, and I said at the time it was a bad <laughs> call, and apparently the NFL has since conceded that it was the wrong call and it should have stood. So. We would all probably feel a lot different about Miles Sanders in fantasy right now if yeah. that lone play had stood. You shouldn't. I, I don't think it really changes a whole lot. It's a committee. There's risk, but it's also an upside spot this week. Yeah, and I, I was encouraged. I, I think Sanders, his usage was better than I expected in week one. He, he played 49% of the snaps that led the running backs. He also led in carries, like we said. Two targets for Sanders versus three for Sproles and, and Howard, but Sanders actually led in routes run with 16 it was eight for Sproles and nine for Jordan Howard. Um, you know, we know this Falcons matchup is one we want to attack with running backs in the passing game. So hopefully it's, you know, a lot of Sanders there again. I wouldn't be surprised too, though, if Sproles catches like four or five balls in this game. Sproles, by the way, played more snaps, but uh, it's played more snaps than Jordan Howard. Mm-hmm. Only saw three targets, though, as Jared just mentioned, yeah. uh, nine to six in carries. So I could definitely see Doug Peterson, though, you know, attacking that aspect of the Falcons' D and using Sproles more in this game. Especially after Deion Jones played limited snaps in Week 1, only played 62%, and was in and out of that game. So it looks like they're easing him back from a foot injury. That could further motivate the Eagles to kind of test that area of the field for Atlanta. So, yeah, I agree with that. On the Atlanta side, I think you bet on a Matt Ryan bounce back. Case Keenum, of course, threw for 380-3 and at Philly last week. It's worth noting, though, that Matt Ryan has posted weak numbers in three straight meetings with the Eagles. The, the opener last year, the 2017 playoffs, November 2016. Are those all in Philly? I know the opener in the playoff game was, right? Yeah, I think the other one was okay. in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I think Ryan bounces back big here, back at home. Um, the Eagles pass the still looks like it's bad this season with the Case Keenum blow up. Um, and I think you obviously start Julio, you start Calvin Ridley. I think Mohamed Sanu is in play this week, too. Um, Avante Maddox, the Eagles slot corner, gave up seven catches for 63 yards on nine targets in week one. There you go. It continues the trend from him for last year's mm-hmm. playoffs as well. It's not a great spot for Devontae Freeman again, though. I'm probably starting him, yeah. but I'm definitely going to be watching the workload split this week in what should be a closer game than the one at Minnesota was. Ito Smith ran four more routes than Freeman in the opener, yeah. graded out better than Devontae Freeman as well. So kind of like with on Johnson, although... Unlike Carrion Johnson, this is not a good spot, so I won't be surprised if Freeman has another rough game. The Eagles were mid-pack in fantasy points allowed to running backs last year. Give up 4.6 yards per carry. Um, they also allowed the second-most running back catches. So I, I think it's a decent spot, especially with what should be a shootout. I think Freeman's a, a pretty good touchdown bet here. Let's hope so. Uh, Falcons wideouts, you mentioned they're all in play. Austin Hooper is outside the top 12 this week, though, yeah. against a Philly D that's really, in recent years, has been tough on tight ends overall. Yeah, we had the Vernon t- uh, Davis touchdown, but that, and that was just, just some bad tackling by the Eagles. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> it seriously looked like, if you watched the replay, it seriously looked like Andrew I, Sandejo was trying to tickle his belly. I think they all thought, like, one of the other Eagles was going to get him down, <laughs> know, just no, no one did. I don't know what the thinking yeah. is when you're there with somebody, you don't wrap your arms around him. Yeah. But anyway, and I think besides that, I believe besides that, 
play. Uh, Vernon Davis's other three catches totaled 11 yards. Yeah, he had 59 total, so that sounds right. There you go. Cleveland at the Jets on Monday night. This would have been a much more intriguing game before Sam Darnold came down with mono. Um, so he's not going to be playing, might be out for multiple games. Le'Veon Bell is headed for an M- a shoulder MRI today. Uh, Thursday, we'll see what the results are on that. Adam Gase was reportedly optimistic, still hopes that Bell will play. Let's hope for fantasy owners' sake that we know one way or the other before yeah. 1 o'clock Sunday. Yeah, and I think a reminder that Ty Montgomery should still be rostered, at least in deeper leagues, even though he did nothing in week one. Le'Veon Bell was away for so long, and now he's playing this massive, massive workload. I think, you know, he, he's a pretty high injury risk. Yeah, worth stashing where you can help it. Even in, like, shallower bench at least stash him for this week and see sure. what happens yeah. with the shoulder. Of course, if Bell's out, then Montgomery is, you know, worth considering in your lineup right away. Mm-hmm. And then even if Bell plays, you know, maybe watch and see what happens in that game, see if the shoulder yeah. gets any worse. Yeah, but for me, you know, with Simeon under center, it's it's just Bell as the only starter. And if he's out, I do think Montgomery would be an option. I think Jamison Crowder's okay as a PPR uh, yeah. flex with Trevor Simeon. Simeon's been okay, and he doesn't need to have a good game for Crowder to catch you know, eight balls for 60 yards. Right. Simeon does seem like the kind of guy who will just pepper Crowder with those short targets. Crowder also has a pretty nice matchup against TJ Carey in the slot. Robbie Anderson, another tough matchup for him against Denzel Ward. Mm -hmm. Certainly not excited about any Jets at this point. On the Brown side, betting on a Baker Mayfield bounce back. There's nothing on the Jets defense that scares me for... Baker, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, or Nick Chubb. Yeah, I, I liked Baker more, though, before the Sam Darnold stuff hit because I, I just I think the Browns might win this one easily now, and, yeah. and it might be more of a Nick Chubb. I, I think Baker's fine. Like you said, I expect him to bounce back. The Jets' outside cornerbacks last week, Trumaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, gave up 12 catches for 187 yards and a touchdown, so... Uh, could be a big OBJ spot. Yeah, I mean, if they win handily here, I don't think it ends up being yeah. a bad spot for anybody. And I do like Nick Chubb a lot, though. Yeah, on the Jets' side, I mean, you know, we like Nick Chubb to begin with, mm-hmm. and C.J. Mosley, Quinn, and Williams both missed practice on Thursday. Williams is not a starter, but he's in the D-line rotation. Uh, Mosley is their top linebacker, so if either or both of those guys is out, it's only it only yeah. further hurts a run defense that wasn't scary to begin with. Yep, exactly. And even you know, I think Chubb was semi disappointing in Week One, but even with that bad game script, he had 17 carries and four targets. Yeah, and and the yardage was fine. And if yeah. he had had Dontrell Hilliard's touchdown, nobody at all would be concerned about him exactly. right now. Exactly. All right, that's going to do it for this week two preview episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see exactly how we've sorted out all these guys for week two's action. Get your lineup set. We'll be back at you on the podcast tomorrow with our weekly DFS shows. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse saying thanks so much for swimming with us.